Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, a program presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for over 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. We're sharing our thoughts with you listeners for the 187th time today. And we've been talking about a range of issues that link some of the the central values we believe in with the various kinds of work we get involved in. And I mean central values of Borderlands Cooperative and our program Think Again. We started a program back in 2019, almost four years ago now, talking about the importance of relating and relationship. And more recently, we talked about freedom, inclusion, diversity, things like that. The one we'd like to talk about today is ownership or possession, property, and the central importance that ownership and property seem to occupy in our lives and in our culture. Yeah, well, Jacques, just think about the importance we place on owning a house, mm. the, the so supposed Australian dream. Yeah, and how that dream has become increasingly unaffordable and it's just the prick of a balloon away from remaining a daydream <laughs> or indeed in life. Or indeed, a nightmare. Mm, so a prick away from a <laughs> homelessness nightmare. All of that, yeah. Yeah, and Jacques, uh, we've talked a lot about the unequal distribution of ownership in general, haven't we? That's right, especially inequality of wealth, with two handfuls of people worldwide owning as much as half the rest of the world population. Mm. Capitalism even derives its name from the Latin word caput, or head. And that refers to the heads of cattle early pastoralists owned and it has based and on, on which their wealth was based and indeed also their survival. Yeah, so capitalism starting as the ownership of heads of cattle and, and now going kaput. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so there is a long story to tell about owning and the protection of the idea of ownership. For those of us who have grown up with the Christian Bible and the Ten Commandments in their back pockets, we will remind, remember the biblical injunction not to steal, fourth commandment I think it is, which is often used to defend the notion of inviolable private property and the right to accumulate great wealth. But in his book, You Shall Not Steal, Robert News demonstrates through his historical research that this is a misuse of the biblical text and that on the contrary, the commandment's purpose was to guarantee everyone's right to basic necessities. Mm. So the concept of ownership evolved slowly in Europe and in the West as its societies progressed through the Middle Ages and modernity. According to Roman law, Possession is prima facie evidence of ownership. It backs up the ownership title. The owner of an item is assumed to be the person who has it. Long-term use of a property also results in ownership, in fact, and in law. 
Ownership and possession are often thought of as containing four rights. The right to use something, the right to prevent others from utilizing that something, the right to dispose of that something, and the right to destroy it. Mm -hmm. But we also know that there are many regulations that modify and even limit those rights in today's world. So now to the stories we really wanted to reflect on a bit, stories that especially surround the concept of ownership and possession of the land. Yeah. So let's go to more recent history. We've been hearing quite a few stories about Aboriginal people in Australia being granted land rights or native title um, after long struggles, and, and that's since... PM Gough Whitlam, really, in the 1970s. Yeah, remember Whitlam's famous pouring of soil into Vincent Lingiari's hands in 1975, a picture which has gone around the world, really, at Wave Hill. Mm, ceremonially returning a small portion of Gringy land to the traditional owners. Yeah, yeah, and then there was the Marbor decision on the 3rd of June 1992, with the High Court recognising that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have rights to their land, have been here long before European invasion. Yeah, which you would have thought was the bleeding obvious. <laughs> That's right. And then came PM Howard's WIC amendments later in the 90s. Yeah, which established that a pastoral lease could not extinguish native title to land. But then mining was being allowed on Aboriginal land without their permission. Aboriginal permission, but often with quite devastating consequences for their sacred places and other important traditional practices and their spirituality. Yeah, so Jacques, this is what got you and I talking about what it actually means to own land. Yeah? Mm, especially when ownership can just be declared or ignored or modified. So we thought it was worth dedicating a program to it. Yeah, so... Well, I know I started go by going to the dictionary, as you do, uh, and to look at what is actually ownership. If you own something, what does it mean? We take it as self-evident, but when you sit down and think about it, it's actually not so obvious. So what does it mean to own something? So strangely, all the definitions in the dictionaries were quite circular. As uh, For example, one definition stated that ownership is the right to possess, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which, which sounds a bit like ownership is the right to own. <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> but, but they didn't really explain what ownership actually means. Um, for example, so what does it actually mean to own something, especially when others can still come and do things on your land that you don't want them to? Yeah. So a book chapter titled The Nature of Property by Paul Jerjak was very helpful in um, is very helpful in unpacking this a bit. It's in a book uh, titled Introduction to Philosophy and which I'm sure there are lots of books called that. So we'll put a link to it on our um, program page and it's available under Creative Commons. So um, ownership and property are discussed together with the idea of uh, property containing or assuming the idea of ownership. And firstly, as we hinted at earlier, Paul Jerjak points out that owning property doesn't mean you can do anything you like with it. If you own a car, 
you have to keep it in good repair if you want to use it on the road, that is. <laughs> and you have to pay rego. Uh, you have to obey road rules. If you own a house, it, it may have a heritage overlay restricting renovations you might want to carry out. And, of course, if you want to do any renovation, you'd have to um, ask get a permit for mm -hmm. it. Mm. Um, and when you're renting, you, you do have certain ownership rights um, so that you can treat it as your home during the time of the lease. Um, but, of course, in Australia, you can be kicked out rather easily, much more than in other countries. Mm, so ownership confers on oh. you certain rights of use and access. Yeah, and actually I noticed in the... Um, um, the edge there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or maybe I'll come to that later. Yeah. But um, rights aren't absolute. I guess that's the point we're making, mm. Jacques. Mm. And I'd, I'd add, they give you some... They seem to give you some exclusive right over the property, as others don't have the same rights of use and access that the owner has. Mm. Yeah. Importantly, ownership of property is sanctioned and protected by the state, as we also have suggested earlier. So, so far, so good. European philosophers from the 1500s to the 1700s had a lot to say about property and ownership. Thomas Hobbes who died in 1679, and David Hume, who died in 1776. They argued that there could be no natural right of property ownership. Rather, the various rights of ownership were created by the state or some less formal community, and they were, therefore, a human creation. Yeah, some sort of collective mm -hmm. agreement. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Um, I guess they, um, those two, Thomas Hobbes and David Hume, in relation to properties, they sound pretty radical in that they thought property rights should be curtailed if they harmed the community. Mm -hmm. So, uh, to quote Paul Jerjak again, uh, Hobbes and Hume continued an ancient Christian tradition in stating that the function of law is to protect our rights to survive. Mm -hmm. So the function of law is to protect our rights to survive. To the, to the extent that property rights help us to thrive, those rights are defended in law. When those property rights harm the community, those rights are properly curtailed. Thus, Human Hobbes argued that political officials had the right to open granaries and to distribute grain to hungry masses, even if that offended the owners of the granaries. So public interest overrode mm -hmm. the laws about property. Mm -hmm. And to continue the quote, put simply, if the law stood between a starving person and the food they needed to survive, then the law no longer had any meaningful function and would be superseded by human need, unquote. Mm. Um, and for David Hume in particular, uh, ideas of property and common agreement were interli interlinked with ideas about what we'd call social justice. Mm. So let, to let that high-level philosophy think in a bit, let's listen to Kev Carmody with Dirty Collar. Dollar. <laughs> Sunrise from polluted seas, fishing in the rivers for 
Interested in real community resistance to extractivism around the globe? Beehive Design Collective's Art of Resistance World Tour from Turtle Island, Canada brings us complex political discourse in March through stories, murals, music and more. Join Liz Downs from the Rainforest Action Group for insights from her recent trip to Ecuador, where indigenous and peasant groups are fighting back against big mining and how their wins can inspire the global movement. March the 2nd at Black Spark, Northcote, starting 6pm and followed by live tunes and panel discussion. Entry free or by donation. More info at Aidwatch or Melbourne Rainforest Action Group on Facebook. You're listening to Think Again on 3CR Radio, 855am on your dial and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about the meaning of owning and ownership of property and possession and what it all may mean now that we're talking about re-establishing meaning meaningful relationships with Aboriginal peoples. Or or establishing them. That's right. Before the break, we talked about the idea of property and ownership put, put forward by two European philosophers from the 1600s and the 1700s, Thomas Hobbes and David Hume, that the rights of ownership are a social construction, rights that don't hold if the community is being harmed. Another philosopher, John Locke, who lived till 1704, argued that the origin of property is something naturally derived rather than created by human communities or societies. He said that when someone applies their personal labour to an object of nature, that object becomes theirs to own. Yeah, like um, if they pick fruit in a forest or pull fish from the river. Yeah, Locke thought that because they had mixed their own labour with the object of nature, they then owned the fruit or the fish. But Locke said, to claim land, the person's labour must increase the amount of goods produced, the land's productivity. And that is indeed where the terra nullius logic was used to justify invasion, occupation and colonisation of distant lands that were already occupied by indigenous peoples, such as in Australia and the Americas. Yeah, well, of course, those people who were already there weren't producing mega crops and saturating the land with uh, fertilisers and insecticides to keep producing mm-hmm. mega crops, for example. Yes, and in part from sort of subtly also reversing the relationship between the social good and the personal good, Locke grounded his theory of property in the Christian Bible, saying, God and his reason commanded him, man of course, to subdue the earth. And when a man obeying God's command subdued, tilled and sowed any part of the earth, it became his property which an other had no title to. In addition, as pointed out by Paul Jerzak, John Locke thought that God gave land to the industrial and rational European colonizers, of course. I think you mean industrious. Yeah, the industrious. The industrious, sorry, the industrious, (laughs) yeah. So, and I quote again, since the native population of the Americas were not thought to have truly settled and cultivated the lands, it seemed natural to Europeans that they had God's sanction to the land of the Americas. It was only the Enlightenment philosopher Immanuel Kant who first expressed some sarcastic scepticism about this justification of taking possession in the late 1700s. 
Still, from the start, the invaders' ideology around property and ownership provided the justification for the expulsion of the natives from their lands across the globe, a trend that continues to this day. Mm. So even the guise of productivity is dropped as a uh, justification in the case of mining, isn't it, mm, It um, is, yep. with, with bare extractivism and commerce and monetary gain by mining companies. So mm. the whole pretense of needing that That's right. enhanced productivity is dropped mm. A, mm. as a reason for owning the land. Mm, that's really. correct, yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and, and, yeah, and it seems to be um, that excuse of ownership, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. mining and extractivism seem to be enough reason to accept the huge sores in the land after the extraction is no longer profitable. Mm. Yeah, That's right, so we yeah. don't even need to sort of say yeah. that we turned the loaves into fifty loaves. Yeah. That's right, <laughs> as we as we are now seeing yet again in the Latrobe Valley uh, with that big hole they made and uh, mm. the previous owners of it or extractors of it are just going to fill it with water, taking the water as a common property or common use. And uh, there's quite a big protest from the environmental movement against that. Mm. So there are quite a few ex uh, examples of Aboriginal land title and ownership rights being ignored with devastating consequences, mm. in spite of all the statements to the contrary. So there is the Jamiluka Caves destruction, there's Murujuga gas explorations, the Barangaria nuclear waste dump project, and there are many, many more. Yeah. And, and many of them are covered on other th 3CR programs, like the Radioactive Show, mm. too. And these devastating travesties have happened in spite of the Marble decision in 1992, rejecting the notion that Australia was terra nullius. That means no one's land at the time of British settlement, while recognising that indigenous land, rights to land existed by virtue of traditional customs and laws, and that these rights had never been wholly lost upon colonisation. Yeah, so that's right. With the Mabo decision, property rights were recognised excuse me, in the form of native title mm -hmm. as part of Australian common law. Exactly. Uh, with property rights seen as something sourced from Indigenous laws and customs, as you said, Shark, mm -hmm. and not from a grant or favour from the Crown. That's right. Yeah. So mm. hence all the excitement, understandable, around the Mabo decision um, to this day. However, these Aboriginal property rights were not seen as absolute. Mm -hmm. For example, they could be extinguished through state or Commonwealth legislation enacted between 1788 and 1992, mm -hmm. 1992 when, mm -hmm. the, with the, when the Mabo decision came down. And that's a pretty long stretch of More time. More than 200 years, <laughs> yeah. So um, also, um, what was in the bundle of rights for each native title could be decided on case by case. So there's not a bundle of rights mm -hmm. that are intrinsic to native title That's that right. carry right through. They de they decide them on case by case, mm -hmm. which I think is quite astonishing because it really goes against the idea of inalienable intrinsic rights, mm -hmm. I would think. It's more like conditions that come along with each native title. Yeah. It's, it goes against the idea of rights if they so, can be taken away. That's right. 
exactly. Mm-hmm. And all vacant crown land, vacant at the time of the Mabo decision in 92, should be returned to the traditional owners of that land. Yeah. As Claire Coleman, we, we interviewed twice, I think, Three. Uh, wrote in the Saturday paper in late January, and I quote, all traditional owners have the right to claim unclaimed crown land post Mabo. But when we ask for our land back, particularly when that land contains mineral resources or is in the temperate south of the continent or near a capital city, the government, no matter what party is in, in control, fights us. Mm. Unquote. So, vested interest aside, it is obvious that issues around the Western notion of ownership constantly conflict with notions of stewardship or custodianship and certainly with notions of the reciprocal relationship between the land and most aspects of Aboriginal people's lives. Yeah, so definitely definitions of ownership that require extractive or exploitive use of the land they haven't really worked for Aboriginal people, um, especially in legal battles. Yeah, so to wrap up, we believe that the principle of common good should guide all decision-making about ownership and property. Yeah, with common good being decided on by the people and not the wealthy few or not by those with the most power, already mm. with the most power, protecting yeah. what they have. Yeah. And that's probably a good place to come in with the news in the age today, where uh, we now are paying $8,000 per kilometre of the uh, high wires which are it's going through private property. Yeah, you can read it, that's actually. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll just read. It's in the paper today, and we thought it was quite interesting, um, given today's topic. Victorian landholders forced to accept massive electricity transmission lines across their properties will be paid $8,000 per kilometre annually for 25 years. Mm. So I think the first thing out of that is that they'll be forced to. They don't yep. have a choice. That's their land, but you can have these giant mm. um, massive electricity transmission lines across your property. But the other thing is the sweetener, $8,000 per kilometre for yeah. 25 years. And it reverses the idea that the common good comes first. Like in all of the kinds of quotes we have made, it's now the individual property owner's right which seems to be coming first because they are being paid out of the common funds of our taxes to have the common good of the electricity come through their land. Yeah, exactly. So it's really interesting how we have reversed that relationship between individual interest and common purpose. Yeah, and and the changeability of when people are compensated, how much they're compensated as a political sweetener, um, depending on the um, the probably the power of the groups involved and the people involved yeah, exactly. and, the, and the way the political winds are going. That's right. So that means that our envir- environmental realities like global warming, pollution, deterioration of land, species extinction, so on, they are the ones that should guide decisions leading towards an understanding of our relationship with the land. Like Aboriginal people's understanding, we should understand our relationship with the land as one of reciprocal gift exchanges, rather than being mere extractive, possessive and exploitative, and especially rather than privatised money-making transactions. Mm. And finally, 
Australia's own understanding of its sovereign ownership and control over our territories and lands is rather dubious as well. In many programs before, just think again about the fact that we really only own the surface of the land upon which our privately owned houses stand and that mining companies can really dig whatever they seem to want from underneath of our pro- of our uh, privately owned houses, yeah. so <laughs> ownership of land is itself quite dubious. Yeah, and very thin, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> materially and metaphorically. That's right. Yeah, and, and think, Jacques, about Amatil Coca Cola. They're extracting beautiful water sitting underneath the land in the Ballarat region. That's and right. They can come in and do that. And also think that we grant our so-called allies, the US, total control of certain military operations from our territory since 2014, as it was granted by Prime Minister Abbott under the so-called Force Posture Agreement. So, really, we have to wonder what does ownership of land and sovereignty really mean when considering all of those facts? Do you believe in the right to protest? Are you concerned about climate change and the environment? Then come and make your voice heard at a mass meeting on the right to organise for climate and the environment. Join others at 6.30pm on Tuesday, March 7th at 535 Elizabeth Street, Central Melbourne to discuss and then vote on practical ways to support climate action and the environment and to defend the right to protest. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio and supporting our program. If you want to send us a message, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Our past programs are available on podcast on your favourite platform and via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. For now, please enjoy Milkumana by King Stingray.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.